welcome to Humans of Magic, the show where I get into the minds of some of the world's best magic players and personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. I love telling stories, and I love learning from other people. In this series, my guests and I talk about Magic the Gathering, but the game is just a starting point. It is 100% focused on the guests themselves. This is a place where I can highlight their passions, interests, and stories. You'll hear less talk about magic-specific strategy and more talk about what my guests have learned over the years. I hope that you will enjoy these free-flowing conversations. So in today's episode, I talked to Caleb Durward. Caleb is an extremely prolific brewer, player, and original thinker when it comes to Magic the Gathering. Here's just a list of his most prolific decks over the years. In Legacy, Blue-Green Survival, Blue-Red Painter, Blue-Black Tesserator, Black-White Obliterator, and one of my personal favorites, Blue Zoo, where he used Jason Mind Sculptor along with Wild Nakato in one single deck. In Modern, he innovated the Splinter Twin deck, which is no longer around because it's too powerful for Modern. And in Standard, he's also had impact with brews involving Pure Steel Paladin and another one called Red Green Bees. So he's created an extreme amount of innovative brews and decks over the years. He's also producing content right now for Channel Fireball in terms of articles and streams. And so I was super excited to have Caleb on the show to talk about his experiences in life and in magic. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hey guys, today I am here with someone who is an extremely talented magic player, brewer, and content producer. I am super excited to be talking to Caleb Durward. Caleb, how's it going? Hey, it's going all right, James. Awesome. So how's your week been? Uh, my week has been interesting. I just got back from GP Columbus. I took Monday, kind of, um, kind of relaxed, pretty chill. Uh, I had an interesting date last night. Went pretty well. Pretty, also pretty relaxed. Pretty chill. And then uh, I finally like got back to the old grindstone today and started uh, started writing an article about um, sneaking show with monastery mentor in the sideboard, which is what I played in Columbus, and it was a lot of fun. So, yeah, that's been my week. Did you have a Did you have fun in Columbus? I had a blast in Columbus. I forgot how much I missed inter like one playing competitive legacy. Uh, it's, I mean, it's just, just a ton of fun. It's kind of hard to get enough uh, competitive legacy on Moto because there's the longer queue times in the legacy leagues as opposed to like playing modern. So I think modern is more fun to stream. So I usually end up playing a lot more of that format. Um, but playing competitive legacy IRL is like a total blast. The legacy community, the eternal communities in general, like vintage, legacy, um, even modern to some extent are, tend to be more pleasant like more established they're um they have a, high, a higher barrier to entry so i think like, that people value them more than they might uh other uh, other magic formats in those communities and that, and that might just be like my own bias coming through but it, i definitely feel that way when i'm when i'm playing in a legacy tournament and then there's seeing like all of your old friends that you don't get to see every weekend like like there used to be, I used to like grind a lot of opens and go to a lot of PTQs and stuff. And, and you would see those people every single weekend. And now I only see them when they, uh, 
when they travel out to the when they decide to go to a Grand Prix and the the Legacy Grand Prix seems to get all of uh, all of my old friends out of the woodwork. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that sounds pretty awesome. And I imagine that uh, the the location Columbus must have some special significance for you, right? Having uh, you know that because that was the place that you broke out with uh, Blue Green Survival at the time, correct? Yeah, and that wasn't actually the most pleasant weekend. Uh, actually playing the tournament was good for the most part, but even that that had its hiccups. That was the same tournament that, um, uh, like, there was the, the whole Wesco check incident happened, where, uh, and, and, and I watched this match between Drew Levin and Craig Wesco, and at one point, like like Drew had like called a called a judge on Wesco for something silly, and then at the end of the match, uh, Drew stands up and he says like I bet my friend and he was talking about uh, Alex B at the time, the the infamous cheater. Like they had actually traveled to this tournament. This was like quite a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But he he shouts uh, I bet my friend fifty to one that that I that I would top eight this tournament, and I just did. And the crowd like laughs or whatever because he's like playing to the crowd, and uh, and Wesco like took that as like a sign of like poor sportsmanship that like probably shouldn't be uh done or whatever and then he like remembered that drew had like called the judge about him about something silly earlier so he was like well i guess i'll return the favor and he, he calls the judge and then they have a two hour long investigation and two this hours is, really yes and this is the first time that i had top aided a larger event so like i played in some grand prix before but it had just been a couple you know like i played in like two or three grand prix uh once every few years I grew up in a in a fairly middle of nowhere location, so I couldn't really play in all of the tournaments that I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like not used to grinding Magic for that long of a time period. And now, like after fifteen rounds, there's like this giant two hour chunk before we like finally play the play in the top eight. And oh I was, my uh, gosh! <laughs> I was not having, a, not having a good time. And then uh, one of one of the people that I traveled with had like yeah. yelled at me that morning, and I don't uh, I don't handle that very well. I don't. That's like one of my own like personal things. I just um, I don't know. I've never I've never liked being yelled at. I don't think most people do. But... I, I don't think so. But why did he yell at you? Oh, we had some some weird bet. Like I had a uh, I had like hitchhiked before, and I was like pretty well versed in in its like legality. And he was convinced that hitchhiking was illegal. Um, across America, and it's it's not. And, and, <laughs> and, and I like looked up the rule, and he like disagreed with me, disagreed with it, and called me an idiot and and whatnot. That's another. That was actually uh, from another kind of like infamous figure in uh, in Magic history. Uh, one one Stosh, who uh, who owned MTG Chicago, and I didn't know him at all. He just like owned the store that was close to me when I first moved to Chicago. I was like fairly new there, mm-hmm. and uh, and I had like gotten a ride down with them. Um, and it turned out he he was just like a super shady character. He just like didn't pay his employees and ripped people off and did whatever he could. And anyway, there's a lot of crazy stosh stories. He got banned once for like hitting someone with a chair. Anyway, <laughs> sounds like character. sounds like wrestling or something. But uh, right, yes, it sounds exactly like that. Yeah, no, that's um, I. As you're talking about this stuff, it's coming back to me because. I remember following Legacy at the time and hearing about the the Drew incident and um, the store incident and all these kind of things. It's kind of amazing, actually, to think about how far we've come in what it's been six years, but it hasn't really felt that long, at least for me. I don't know. If, I don't know about for you, but <laughs> yeah, that tournament was also 
Uh, no, it, it's it certainly felt like a long time for me, but that was like kind of an impactful tournament in a few different ways. That that tournament was also the one where Saito played Jason Ford for top eight, um, and and Saito, uh, well, obviously, like as as someone watching a match, right, you can't really like go into someone's head, mm-hmm. but it was very meticulous how he was using like thirty seconds of his time and thirty seconds of his, his opponent's time, and Jason Ford was not doing anything right. He was just drawing for his turn, uptaking Jace the Mind Sculptor, and passing. He had a handful of removal spells. He had like a bunch of man lands and wastelands in play. Saito had no outs, and he was doing things like counting Jason's sideboard. He looked at Jason's graveyard. He looked at his own graveyard. He read Jace the Mind Sculptor. <laughs> read Jace the Mind Sculptor again. Yeah. You like like the, like every turn of the game. Uh, he he made sure that it lasted more than thirty seconds, even though uh, Jason wasn't doing anything. Like no, inter- basically just uptick my Jace F six, mm-hmm. um, and and he managed to get the draw despite there being like six minutes left on the clock when they're like going into this this board state of Jason like literally just upticking uh, the Jace and and uh, and Jason didn't call for a judge to watch for slow play because there was a judge watching. There was a judge like falling asleep <laughs> right in front of him. And every time it looked like Jason was going to talk to the judge and be like, "Hey, you should you should do something." Saito would like would like key into that normal to body language yeah. and then like let the turn pass. And it was uh anyway. And so so the uproar over that match I think is part of what got Saito um, banned. Uh, for slow play in a different match later, like I think, like part of like the uh, like the animosity over 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 that injustice, and I, I can't speak to the actual match he got banned in. I mean, I would I would have loved to watch that. I can I can I can only speak to the the Jason Ford match, which which I watched. Mm-hmm. And it, it sounds, sounds like it sounds like it was yeah. clear case of uh, slow playing. I thought it was very clear at the time, and I wasn't. Yeah, yeah, and people the other people watching thought it was thought it was pretty clear as well. But I mean, he also didn't get banned there, and he should like he probably shouldn't get banned at a later point for um, something he wasn't like convicted of at the time. I don't know. It's that's all kind of like nebulous, right? That's a little bit nebulous morally. Yeah. I'm not a I'm not a judge. I've never like claimed to be a judge or or have a good idea about that. It's just a just an interesting story, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, I mean that definitely sounds like. A very historic GP in terms of all the things that have happened, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So let's unwind a little bit. Um, I wanted to get back to your beginning. Uh, let me let me ask this: If you were just d- walking down the street and there's another Magic player and I saw you, I didn't know who you were. Um, how would you int- introduce to the listener who you are and what you do? To a random Magic player. Yes. If let's say they did not know who you were, how would you I would, introduce yourself? Uh, I actually enjoy that. I, I try and there's a there's a uh, pre-release nearby where I live where nobody knows who I am, and it's great. I go to the midnight pre-release and I can just like sit down and play Magic, and that's I don't know. It's like kind of pleasant. There's like something uh, pleasant about like just playing like anonymous Magic. You know, <laughs> like I don't get me wrong. Like I love it when people are like, hey, I love your articles. Like I love your your stream. I especially like those people. Because people that watch the stream, I feel, really know me. Like, they know my taste in music. They know that I'm, like, human. I'm fallible. I, like, mess up sometimes. That sort of thing. Um, that's, like, really pleasant. But uh, uh, but it's also pleasant to just, like, uh, go back to, to playing magic. Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, like, brag about myself to random people on the street, if that's the... <laughs> 
Sure, let me ask it another way. Let's okay, say that sure. let's just say that I you wanted to tell me about your what you've done in magic so far. Let's say that I didn't know that you did all these kind of things in the past couple of years. What what's the best way you would describe your magic achievements? My achievements? Oh, I've impacted various decks over the years. I've like brewed a few um legacy specific archetypes some of which are like sort of kicking around like a painter showed up in the legacy gauntlet on moto recently blue red painter and that was one of mine i was trying to i was trying to brew like a um a legacy deck that felt like a vintage deck uh so i was using like a lot of cards that are like like restricted and vintage and that sort of thing um like vintage archetype too with painter uh yeah, and then there's there's like I've had a, a lot of influence in various decks over the years as well. If you go back to the uh, the stifle debate with uh, with Legacy Rug, I was I was very much on the the pro stifle side of that. I also I also like made some uh, some bad choices within arch- within that archetype too. I I, I, uh, I remember I sh- I went down to three Tarmogoyfs to play like a scavenging ooze, and I top aided a Grand Prix with that. And for a while, everybody was like copying that. Like I would see scavenging uses in my opponent's lists and stuff. Right. And I was just like, "Oh my god, what have I done?" Because the deck only had like three green sources, and it was like okay, it was like good in the the grindy games, mm-hmm. but uh, it was just uh, it was just not good in that deck. It was pre- you pretty much only wanted it if your opponent was playing Snapcaster Mage, and it was like good in that situation specifically, and it was terrible every other time. <laughs> Anyway. It, was, it was kind of a funny situation because I still remember during that time when people were putting the scavenging ooze in and some people actually went as far to think that they didn't even need a full set of Tarmogoyfs anymore. They would start selling them off or getting rid of them. And then, as you know, Legacy can be a very cyclical format. And mm-hmm. guess very what? So. A little bit later, Tarmogoyfs are back and these guys are now like, I can't, pl- I don't can't play Tarmogoyfs in Modern or in Legacy because they, I don't have them anymore. So I guess. I mean, if you sell a card, you can always buy it back later, right? That's yeah. just magic. Uh, and it's interesting that you bring up uh, magic being cyclical, um, because at, at the time, like I thought that Tarmogoyf was like not very good. The the two uh, decks to beat, besides besides Rug, were uh, Maverick, where Tarmogoyf is not very good. Uh, they, they had like Mother of Runes and neither, like larger creatures and Nether Reliquary and Swords to Plowshares. So Goyf just like doesn't match up very well against uh, against what the opponent's doing, and then um, and then there was also Esper Esper Deathblade, where Tarmer Goyf is again like like not very good. Again, it's a Snapcaster, so it's the Plowshares deck. You really win that matchup off of Nimble Mongoose. So there so there was like a, a pretty good reason to cut down on on numbers of of Tarmer Goyfs. And I think I was also playing Snapcaster Mage in that tournament, and Snapcaster, which was much better at like grinding people out, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, but kind of recently, um, I actually don't know how recent this is, but in the last year or two, someone top-aided a Star City Invitational, where they went down to two, two uh, Tarmogoyfs, and they played a couple of Vendillion Clicks in the main deck, mm-hmm. which I thought which I thought was interesting, because it's like probably in the, the similar vein, just this card is um, not as well-positioned as it is normally. The Rug Mirror isn't that large right now. I can get away with playing a card that has a little bit more utility yeah. than just a, a flat body. Yeah, and you've just reminded me of uh, a good friend of mine, Jonathan Alexander, Yona, on MTG The Source. He just finished 24th in GP Prague last weekend, playing Rug Delver with two Tarmogoyfs. Okay, what, what, was he, uh, what was he supplementing the threats with? He played a main deck Winter Orb, and he actually played a main deck Counterspell. 
Oh, okay. So he wasn't supplementing them at all. He was just playing Yes, cards. he believed that 10 creatures was enough. Uh, sure. Yeah, it, it's, it's fascinating. Actually, at some point, he splashed mm -hmm. black in the sideboard for painful truths. And so he had this kind of wacky build that I thought was wacky, but it really worked for him. And he was playing on Moto and crushing. So he actually decided to play that instead of his normal deck, which was Storm, because uh, he thought it was better positioned. And he got rewarded for it. So that, you know, yeah, what you said about the Tarmogoyf just, <laughs> just reminded me of that. Like, he played two Tarmogoyfs, and uh, he did fairly well with it. Sure. Yeah. The one thing I like about keeping the threat count up a little bit is, uh, like, we like to have at least 12 threats. Um, the thing that I like about that is if a threat is, like, kind of a non-threat in a specific matchup, you can shave it. You can go down to, like, two copies or, like, cut it entirely. Like, like for example, if you're playing against, um, like, Storm, your Nimble Mongoose is not a threat. Like, it's not pressuring the opponent. Your one mana 1-1 one, one is, right. is just not right. getting it's there. Not, like, you need to have Delver, yeah. you need to have a Tarmogoyf, you need to actually attack their life total. Yeah. Um, so so being able to, like, board down to fewer copies of that card is, is useful. Or, like, if you're, like I said earlier, if you're playing against, like, Maverick or so something, being able to show you have a Tarmogoyf can be useful for similar ways. Anyway. Yeah. So where whereabouts are you right now? Are you in Chicago? I'm currently in Madison. Uh, I grew up in northern Wisconsin, which was very middle of the nowhere. Our closest FNM was a two-hour drive, and it was a legacy FNM. I had a lot of fun, nice. but uh, we, we could only go there like once every month or two. Mm -hmm. And then, um, uh, and then I, after I graduated from college, um, I went to Chicago for a few years, and uh, and after that, I went to St. Louis for a year, and now I've been in Madison for a couple of years. Did you always have? Did you grow up playing games? Uh, I, yeah, like, uh, my dad was a, was a computer guy, so we had a home computer at a time when, like, not everybody did, uh, and I played, like, a lot of, like, old DOS games and stuff, and that was sweet, um, and I got, like, a hand-me-down Atari, and I, I played the crap out of that thing, uh, yeah. Do you and remember then, some of your favorite games on the PC back then, or on Atari? Oh, pri Privateer. Privateer was great. Oh, nice. I played I played so much Privateer. Yeah. Um, as far as the Atari goes, I really liked uh, Crystal Castles because it was, I don't know, it's like kind of trippy. It, it was a uh, it was it was kind of like um, playing Super Mario, but you have like a 3D platform. Like you can go in um, all all those different directions, you know, and sure. uh, and the the speed of it was faster than other of those types of games. And it, and it got a little got a little crazy and intense. I, I, I like that. I like the. Did the you have uh, any siblings or friends that you played with? <laughs> wow. Uh, no. <laughs> no. <I didn't. laughs> no. Why the wow? I just I just thought I ask. <laughs> did you have any siblings or friends that, that you played games with? Like, well, no. I I suppose I didn't really have friends to play games with. This is this is good to bring up. No, no. I'm <laughs> so sorry, like, man. No, I uh, I because I I play a lot of one player games as well. I used to play like Civilization yeah, yeah. and XCOM and like uh, Wing Commander Two. Like I'm pretty old, so I I used to play you know, all these kind of things, King's Quest and all these kind of things. So I love mm -hmm. single player games. Like I please don't take my question the wrong way. Yeah, no 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 no. It was it was uh, it was more about my my answer. But um but yeah, I I also like the single player games. I think like Baldur's Gate and, and like Might and Magic Six are, are a couple of my favorite games of all time. Oh yeah. yeah. So how how'd you but start anyway. playing Magic? 
uh, when I was in uh, tenth grade, I saw some 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 people playing it, and I wasn't really like friends with them, but I wanted to be friends with them. <laughs> like like I I was uh, I was not a popular child uh, growing up, so um, I don't know. But like I, I was I was into a lot of like fantasy novels at the time. Like I read a lot. Sure. And and I like I like these these cards had dragons on them and people were like playing games and it seemed like something that I could get into um, and just like be accepted and then I was and that was awesome and yeah so you just started playing with the guys who were playing magic and you became just part at of school the, yeah the group okay yeah basically uh, yeah I remember my first card that I opened I opened a, a it was like a pack of of fifth edition I think. And my first card was Pox, and I didn't like know anything about the game or, <laughs> or understand it. And I'm like trying to figure out the game and read this card, and I'm like, so you lose a third of your what? Why would like, you want to do that? Oh, yeah, why would anyone do this? And <laughs> I just couldn't wrap my head around it. I traded it to some for like some sweet lizard card because oh yeah, I didn't know what rarities were. So you know. So do you remember some of the, your favorite decks or cards when you started playing? Uh, I think I really started to enjoy magic. Um, well, well, well like I, I always wanted to get better, right? Like the, uh, when I started going to the, the local game store, and the older players would just destroy me. Um, I would I would ask uh, I would ask them uh, what what was what was good, and because I I wanted to improve. And I I remember the the shop owner Alex Bueller, who I, I still interact with sometimes to this day. He's living in the in the Twin Cities now. But I asked him one day. I was like, "What's the what's the best card in Magic?" And he said, "Force of Will." And I asked him what the best deck in Magic was, and he and he said, "Tricks, like the Illusions Donate." And I didn't know like how to look up a, like a deck list or anything like that. Yeah. So I I just like went online and I used my my lawn mowing money from like mowing lawns, and I like ordered a set of Force of Wills for like twenty bucks a piece or something, <laughs> and a set of like Illusions and Donates. And I just like put them in a deck with like the random garbage that I already had. Yeah, so, like so a lizard like, or something, right? <laughs> what? Like a lizard. <laughs> yeah, right. Like just like all this, all this random. Like, like I think I built it as like a blue-black control deck with like faceless butchers and like innocent bloods and stuff. <laughs> just like stuff that I'd been playing in like my kitchen table magic, but like didn't didn't quite fit the shell, you know? Yeah. Anyway, I mean, what I loved about what you did. But even before what you did was his answer. You just asked him point blank, "What's the best card?" And he just gave you, a, like, a non-contextual answer. Like, Force of Will is the best Completely card. Completely non-contextual. I mean, it's also like a true answer. It was also like a fair answer. Right. It was like technically what I was asking for, yeah. but it wasn't like really what I was asking for. And he could he couldn't really know what I was what right. I was trying to do. I was just like trying to improve. I don't think I actually started improving at Magic until I started playing online. And uh, I started watching like pro tour coverage and stuff. So when was that? Was that already when you were in college? Oh no! I think the the first pro tour I watched, um, Kibler commentated, and I remember the final. I still remember the finals uh, to this day. It was Zinc versus someone whose name I'm forgetting, but uh, but yeah, they played a wake on wake finals, and the the commentators like went into incredible detail about like their sideboard plan so like one of them might bring in stifle because it can hit like there's like there was like a sack land in the thing and like there are all of these different like cycle triggers and that sort of stuff and one of them had dudes in the sideboard so we might bring them in expecting the opponent to like board out the rat the sweepers and like it, uh i was hooked i was just like absolutely hooked and I, I like i downloaded 
all of these matches in quick time because that's how you got to watch tournament coverage at that at during that time <laughs> sure. there was no live streaming wasn't a thing so yeah. like you, you downloaded quick time and you downloaded the individual videos and while the next video was downloading i would like watch the first one and it was just hours upon hours of this uh of this of this wake mirror match and um the commentators were like groaning and stuff but i was they were i ate it up that was that was exactly what i wanted to watch anyway yeah, so you just started consuming this huge amount of content, and this is when you really got, quote unquote, into magic. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. And then I and then I probably had like one friend at the time who was like a year younger than me, but he had been kind of like coached by uh, by some stronger older players, and and he was about my level, and and we just like played a shit ton together. We just jammed games all the time, every format. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Is he still playing today? Uh, no, he died when I was 15. Uh, oh, he drowned in Lake, Lake Superior. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Not as sorry as him. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was, that was quite a while ago. Right, right. But uh, the that summer, we, we'd actually like spent like pretty much the entire summer together, like just playing Magic, and then like one of us would sleep over at the other person's house or whatever. Uh, just like being kids, you know, mm-hmm. get into get into the, like the appropriate amount of, of kid trouble. And then there was like one day that I left to go um, to go to a wedding, like a friend's wedding. And I was like, okay, whatever. I don't really want to do this, but you know, they were good friends of the family. There's no reason, no reason not to. Uh, and I left for a couple of days, and I came back, and I go to the store because I'm like, I'm gonna go, gonna go play cards with Bill, like I always do. And I show up, and the and the owner of the store is is uh, uh i asked i asked where bill is because it was his backpack was there and he never he never left his backpack anywhere and she was like well he's he's dead he drowned in he drowned in uh like superior yesterday and i like didn't believe her one because like bill didn't like he she said that he drowned swimming and bill didn't know how to swim right. very well like he never went swimming with us ever and uh and two like it was just the sort of like practical joke that the bill would do like bill was just the the max like practical joker like he loved making people laugh that was just like what he did mm-hmm. um so i yeah I, I kept on expecting him to like pop out from somewhere and uh and he just never did how did you process that at the time uh not very well um just uh i i grew up in a in a location where there wasn't uh like a whole lot to do um that was that was healthy or whatever so um, like like a lot of my friends started drinking at an age where it was like probably not appropriate for them to do so. Sure. Um, and so I like I I did a bit of of, of that or whatever. Like there's a a few months where where I just like don't uh, don't remember a ton. Um, definitely wasn't like healthy like a healthy way to cope. It was more like pushing it off towards a towards a later date. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, did yeah. you continue playing the game when after that happened? Yeah, of course. No, no, that's when I quit Magic and I never returned. <laughs> oh, I, I don't mean it in a in a. I, what I meant was because you have been playing, grinding with your friend all this time, and now uh-huh. he's no longer around. Uh, it makes me kind of wonder. Um, I can't p- put words in your mouth because I had not gone through a situ- situation like that. But I wonder if that made you step away from Magic for a little bit because of the association. Uh, not, not really like i like i'd already started playing on like magic online i think that was during the time of o gaming as opposed to magic league but i was like i, I didn't have the the money to to buy into to moto or whatever 
Um, so that's what that's what I I played, and I mean it's not like I had much else to do, so I'm sure that I still played Magic during that. So had you already played your first tournament by then, or when would you, when did you actually play in your first sanctioned? Uh, what, match? what do you? Oh, my first sanctioned match. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, yes, we we had definitely played. We played in a few uh, random JSSs, which were, um, <laughs> which were interesting. I remember the second JSS I went to. Uh, I just got like super savagely cheated uh, by this kid, and I had no clue what. To do about <laughs> oh it. no! I, I had I had no idea. I was like thirteen or fourteen or something, yeah. and this kid like cycled a um, plane, cycled an eternal dragon, and he went through his deck, and he he got a card, and he just like put it face down in his hand. He didn't reveal the planes, and I'm like, you have to reveal your planes. And he picks. Oh, he's like, oh right, sorry. And he picks up the other side of his hand and pulls random planes out to show it to me. <laughs> And he'd been sitting there for like multiple turns, just getting beaten down by my creatures to like almost the point of death. And now, now this turn, he like miraculously had a, a Chromos Vengeance to blow up my board. And it was, it was very clear what had gone on. Anyway, right. so okay, so you started playing in these kind of these tournaments at a quite a young age. But at what point did you? Not not as young as some. Not as young not as, as young some. Sure. Right. Sure. Yeah. If if I had if I had kids, um, and I was playing Magic with them, I would get them started as soon as possible. I think it's like probably good if if uh if they enjoy it anyway if they like um want to be competitive sure and like enjoy that that type of magic i wanted to go back a little bit you said that when you started playing you were you lost in the beginning right because there were good players in the store how oh, did you... uh yeah yeah sure yeah so what was it about you or your personality that made you want to get better like was it something intrinsic or was there I, i'm trying to understand that because i i feel like all of us have a little bit of that but i'm i'm wondering how you feel about like how did you get competitive i don't know that's 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 probably something in me i was uh i was probably more ambitious then than i am now um but uh i don't know i've, I've like always kind of enjoyed improving at stuff it's like it's like fun right right I don't. I don't know, and, and that's kind of just what games are, right? Is is like that sense of improvement is what's rewarding about games in general, like not just Magic, but like any actual game you can play. That's why they're addictive. Every time you feel, every every time you use the bit of knowledge um, to defeat an opponent or like beat an end boss or something, um, and you can suddenly do something that you couldn't when you first started playing the game. Like that's that's satisfying. It's... Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and. Uh... Was there a moment that you seriously was there a moment that you seriously committed to magic as a as a competitive player or or brewer or or whatnot? Um I don't I don't know about that. Uh it's it's more just like a game that I really enjoyed playing. Um so I, so I, I don't know if like commit is the right word. It's it's like asking someone like, "Hey, when did you commit to like reading lots of books?" It's like, "Well, <laughs> I don't know, man. I just I just like reading." I just anyway, cuz you've always been uh, doing this, right? You've been playing the game for a long time. Quite uh I I guess like not not by some people's standards, but um probably by the average magic player's standards for sure. I uh yeah. 
yeah, I don't think there was ever a point where I was like, all right, I'm gonna buckle down on this magic thing here. <laughs> like it was, it was never like yeah, that. Yeah, I wasn't sure about this magic game, but now I'm gonna, now I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna make a go for it. I'm gonna run for for office here. <laughs> yeah, no. Let me put it another way. Was there a particular point where you felt like I made it, or I've leveled up? I'm better than the average player or you've done something, something either results-wise or mental approach-wise that made you think, okay, I've, I've sort of, I'm sort of a, a halfway decent to above average player. Oh, I think most good players have a pretty good estimation of how good they are just because of their win rates, right? Like it's hard to ignore your win rates. You can try. It's going to be like a frustrating experience. You're going to like think that you're better than you are or whatever, but you can't realistically ignore your win rates if you're uh um if you're like actively trying to get better, right? Sure. So when was that for you? Um it was probably like a couple of years before I, I moved to Chicago, like when I was still probably when I was still in college. Like I had an idea that I was like pretty good, but didn't really have the um the the the, the real life like tournaments to actually prove it to anybody and I was busy with college, so Anyway, so what was it like playing in the Chicago area once you started? The Chicago that? area was very good for grinding. Uh, There's a lot of very competitive local stores, a lot of awesome stores, um, hot sauce games, MDG card market. Like, uh, like I, like I, I know the owners, and they're just fantastic people. And they're throwing these cash tournaments um, every week or so, and they're trying not to like compete with each other. Uh, Pastimes is in that area too. Right. Um, so there's just like. Uh, always um, something 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 like quasi useful going on, like people to trade with, whatever whatever like aspect of magic you're trying to grind. And then because Chicago is very centrally located, it was pretty easy to get cars together to go travel to uh, various tournaments, like the the Open Series or the Midwest Masters Series when that was happening, or the TCG Circuit when that was happening. You get the idea. Yeah. So you you're now in the area, and there's just enormous opportunities to grind and to play magic correct uh are you talking about in like the time when i first moved to chicago is that what you're i'm trying to figure out when you started playing in tournaments very regularly and when you... okay sure yeah. uh when i first when i first moved to chicago i thought that i had a job lined up um like some temporary thing just to like hold me over i was moving in with a buddy from college uh, the, the fellow like theater type english major guy really really interesting character but we won't get into that now um, but yeah, I, I moved in, um, and then it turned out that that like temporary job I had lined up, I didn't actually have lined up. It, it like fell through. I like showed up, and they were like, "Oh yeah, sorry about that." And I was like, oh, "Okay." Um, so I, I had like um, money to live for for a few months, but I needed to find something as quickly as possible, and uh, and uh, it, it, that this was also the time period that the magazine industry had just crashed. Mm -hmm. So when I was looking for like an entry level editing position, there were people that were much more experienced, like people with like 20 plus years of experience looking like looking for anything because they, they had like family to support, like they, they wanted to work, you know? Uh, so it was very difficult for me to find a job that used my degree uh, in the, in the field that I was looking for. Uh, and so at a certain point I just uh, sent out fewer and fewer applications and like went to more and more tournaments. Cause at least when I went to tournaments, like I wasn't making much. I would like I would grind and I'd make like twenty dollars, or I'd like make some profitable trades or um, that sort of thing. But it was like something. And uh, and then when I started going to uh, 
uh, G- I went to GP Columbus and then like the, uh, the random open series that I went to, uh, I was, I was successful there and mm-hmm. I started making, um, I, I, I wouldn't say it's like enough money to, to, to support a person, but I made it work. <laughs> so the way I take your answer is that as soon as you start winning these kind of tournaments and you're starting to make a little bit of money, that's kind of when you realize that you could make, you could, you could kind of grind out a living doing this, right? Well, it wasn't like a realization thing. It wasn't like that. It was like, that was the skill that I had, um, that I could make money with. And I didn't really know how long I would be able to get away with it. It wasn't like an intentional choice. It was kind of like a thing out of necessity. It was like, this is what I can do to survive right now. Cause I would like to pay rent and tonight <laughs> sure. and that sort of thing. Yeah. I remember one of the weekends when I was uh, kind of first starting out, um, I went to an open and uh, I had like a couple extra cards that I could maybe sell if I got super hard up, but I pretty much just had the cash to, uh, for my first entry fee, right? Um, and I got into a situation where if I top aided the tournament, uh, it would be a little bit dicey as to whether I would have dinner that night because if you top eight the tournament, they said you a check. But if you top 16 the tournament, they paid you in cash. Uh, and, I ended, <laughs> and I ended up uh, top 16ing both days. Anyway. Yeah, tough decisions or you're, you're back, <laughs> proverbial back against the wall. Yeah. Okay. When you were playing at that time, were there particular players in the area that were quite strong that you you played against on a regular basis? Uh, I re- well, I like I hadn't like played in a lot of tournaments or anything like that. When I when I first moved to Chicago, I was like, oh man, finally a place where I can like play Magic and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I had looked up the 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 ratings list, the Elo ratings, and the the top player at the at the time was David Gleischer. And then I like met Gleischer at a random tournament, and I like kind of fanboyed on him, yeah, because like because I knew like okay, well here's a here's a strong player, and Gleischer is still strong. He doesn't he doesn't uh, grind as much as as he used to, but yeah, he's a he's quite a good player. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that I met him early on. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when I started going to, to to tournaments to like opens and whatnot, I also met uh, Joe Bernal very early on, and we went to so many tournaments together um, to the point where like. Uh, where where we like almost know each other like a little bit too well, you know, if if that can be a thing. But yeah. uh, but yeah, no, it's um, yeah, he's, he's he's a good friend, and he was a good person to work with for a lot of different tournaments at a lot of different points. Um, he he is like both Gleischer and Bernal are like strong deck builders, and they're 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 both like unique minds within Magic, uh, and they're strong players, so they're really useful people. Um, to test with and and like throw ideas against the wall and and and, and see what see what sticks. Um, come up with like uh, neat ideas together. Uh, I, I think that's I think that's more useful than someone that thinks like similarly to yourself or someone that thinks like very um, regular in terms of of magic. Uh, someone that like always plays the the top tier deck or, or something like that. Like that person might be useful for testing with, but when it comes to like actually brewing, especially for a format that's a, uh, that's a little bit more unique. Uh, I think having a more unique mind is, is more useful, but I'm, I mean, I might be, I might just be biased there. Like I, I don't actually know. No, I think that's a good point. You're basically saying that having different or teaming up people who think differently, you guys can actually come up with some good idea exchanges or you can think of things that the other person may not have and vice versa. 
Yeah, exactly. Okay. Was that the first time you really seriously partnered up with people to brew decks and prepare for tournaments? Was with Bernal and Gleischer? Uh, I think those are two really good examples. They weren't like, um, I don't know. There were there were a few there were a few bad examples too. Uh, are you are you familiar with Michael Posgay at all? I am not. Okay, he's he is a like kind of a a morally um, what's a good way to put this repulsive person. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were gonna use a I thought you were gonna use a much uh, softer term, but uh, please go but, ahead. That's yeah. <laughs> probably about as diplomatic as I can put it. But he uh um. He was he was always very charismatic, and he was trying to find people. Sure. Uh, well, he he saw me as as someone who, if he associated with, I, I I don't know I don't know if he like actually wanted to be my friend or if he saw me as like a way that people could like trust him more because he's like hanging out with me or whatever. But I was pretty new to Chicago, and he like introduced me to a lot of people, and he actually had like a very uh, large influence on. Uh, my social life because I got introduced to this whole community that I would have had a difficult time meeting otherwise. And I'm still very good friends with a lot of these people. Mm -hmm. Um, but Posca himself, uh, is known for, for like stealing cards, um, for cheating people in games. He had multiple game losses for, for drawing extras over the course of like several grand prix. At one point he got banned for, uh, for tournament fraud, because like he was trying to pressure his opponent into like conceding to him for cash or something weird, oh, no. and at the time we joked that it was like Al Capone getting busted for tax evasion, because here's this guy who's like peeling extras every tournament and yeah. scumming little kids and whatnot. I I I didn't realize like like I'd heard people talk badly about him. Uh, I think Sam Black was the 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 person who most clearly like warned me about Posgay and he didn't have any like concrete examples so it was difficult for me to really believe him but he was he just said something along the lines of uh Posgay is not a good person <laughs> and the, that's all about all that he could tell me and that's about all I had to go with so I I didn't like really take that to heart and then um and then when he we were playing in round 1 of a PTQ um he like slowed down the game which is something that that he would do a lot and then he main it was looking that if I got to untap, I would I would win the game. Mm -hmm. And he sorcery sped lightning bolted me. And I was like, well, that's kind of a weird time to play a lightning bolt, but all right, I guess. And when I went to, to write down the life total exchange, he put the bolt back in his hand. Like when my when my eyes like went away from from him, you know, when they went to to my my life pad. Right. And someone was was sitting a, a few table a, a few seats over. Uh, I think his name his name was uh, Steckley, and and he said, uh, "Posgay, that lightning bolt goes in goes in your graveyard," <laughs> and I was stunned. I was like super stunned. This is someone he he had he had invited me to to Thanksgiving to have dinner with his family, you know, because he knew that I was like alone in Chicago with nobody to eat with on Thanksgiving dinner, right. and now he was like rebuying a lightning bolt against me in round one of a PTQ, and I I uh, I just like shut down. I I didn't know how to handle that. Mm -hmm. But uh, we're not friends anymore, if if you couldn't tell. Yeah, I mean, it's someone that you trusted and and reached out to you, right? And you'd be thinking, I mean, naturally, you would be thinking, why round one of a PTQ? Like, I, I mean, I like to think the best of people. I don't know. Yeah. In like a a pretty general sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so you've had these kind of different partnerships, some good, some not so good. 
you must have learned quite a lot from just uh, working with players to to get better at magic, right? Uh, are there particular lessons that you that you may have in terms of or learnings you have from just working as a team? Like, let's say that I was somebody who didn't have a, a partner. I was just getting into competitive magic. Like, what should I try to do here uh, in terms oh, of... Oh, you should just play magic. You should just play magic. Um, anyone that's, like, asking, like, how do I get better at magic, uh, they're they're asking the wrong question. Like, like all of the tools that you have to become a good magic player are there. They're already there. So the only thing that you're doing wrong by asking how do I improve at magic is not, like reading art like this is time that you could be spending like reading articles and 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 networking with people in your area or or online there's so many resources online or like grinding uh magic online or whatever and and if uh you find yourself being like okay well i can't do that because of blank and blank and blank you're you're making excuses and mm-hmm. you don't actually want to to put in like the work or whatever to get good at magic you want like a pill that makes you magic well i don't have one of those like, you, just need to grind, <laughs> you just need to grind right uh it's like practice your fundamentals try madly to improve if that's something that you really want and uh and maybe it find it turns out that it's not because um if you want it for reasons other than uh like love of the game, um, respect for your peer from your peers, the satisfaction of getting good at something. Like those are those are things that magic is pretty good at, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you want it for things that are that are not those things, then you should probably do something else. Anything else? <laughs> right. You heard it here, guys. Caleb Durward says, "Play more magic." <laughs> I, what was that? What I said? I think I said to play less magic too. I think that's yeah. Both play more and less magic. That's uh, oh, you said play le- play less magic. So Caleb Dorris says what? play less magic. <laughs> well, I said both, right? Like it was anyway. Yeah, what yeah, you're looking for? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, do you have any hobbies that you still enjoy outside of magic? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I play chess. It's like pretty relaxing it's something that i don't uh, feel like a lot of pressure to get good at but i still enjoy studying i'll never like be a good chess player you know but uh but it's but it's um still like highly enjoyable on a strategic and tactical level and i and i really like, enjoy watching um like following like like top level like pro chess like the world championships and stuff i enjoy that a lot and i enjoy league of legends in a similar way that's another another game where i can just like accept that i'm always going to be like a a middling gold player and uh can just like kind of take it easy just just uh, play it relaxed play it enough that i understand the game uh on a strategic level so that i can uh actually enjoy like the uh the pro scene as well mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm kind of i'm kind of a strategy buff like i like i really enjoy the the strategy uh, in, in, in all these various games. And I think it's like kind of interesting when uh, strategic theory and like elements can almost like transcend different games, like the theory of tempo or uh, or of like exchanging material for tempo is something that you could take from uh, chess and apply it to magic or League of Legends or, or basically anything. Sure. And going back a little bit, why did you say that you th- you think you'll never be a good chess player? Oh, because the ceiling for like a, a good chess player is very high. It's it's incredibly high. Like right now, I'm I'm probably rated around like if I if I was gonna play in like a live tournament and and, and get a rating or whatever, I'd be somewhere between fifteen hundred and sixteen hundred, which is very like very middling. Um, in Magic Elo, that would be like a like a seventeen hundred, eighteen hundred. I think I don't know. Um, well, I I guess it's like kind of useless to even list off Magic Elos now because Magic hasn't used Elo for a while. 
but uh but like just kind of middling right and the amount of dedication and time it takes to become uh like a good chess player like a grandmaster or something is just something that i'm never gonna have and i'm perfectly okay with that uh it takes a lot it takes quite a bit and most people start very early and i did not start very early i see so it's really just a matter of uh, not a matter of but putting in the work and the time to reach that ceiling is 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 quite a commitment and so uh well it's very difficult to to to, to become like a, a top level player at multiple games uh kibler did something similar with with hearthstone kibler managed it with hearthstone but hearthstone is also like a very similar game to magic right so he can use a lot of uh, the principles that he's really good at in Magic and just apply them to this new game, and he was very successful doing that. And there's a few other Magic players that have done that. Mm -hmm. um, some people have done it with poker. It's like less less uh, less straight of a conversion with poker, but I mean, if you can do math, if you can calculate, if you can bluff occasionally, if you can do uh, do basic game theory, like you're gonna you're gonna probably do okay at poker. So so that's why a lot of Magic players have done well there. But but chess is a game where you actually have to memorize quite a bit of theory. Um, if you're going to do well and, uh, like, like love it or hate it. That's like just what that game is. Mm -hmm. Um, there's still matchups in chess. There's still variants in chess, but, uh, but a lot of it gets buried under the, like the sheer amount of time that you need to be competitive. Sure. What about for League of Legends? You also said that you, you know enough about the game to be, to understand the strategies and to enjoy the, the pro scene. Uh, is that also a game where you just need to practice a lot to to get to the levels that the really competitive players are? Uh, kind of. I mean, I'm also um, pushing too old for a League of Legends player. Sim similar to chess, like like 28 is like kind of old to get into either of those games. Um, with League of Legends, if I really wanted to be a top tier player, uh, for one, like I'm not even sure that I could do that. Right? Like my my like uh, my comp my video game dexterity isn't anything incredible. Like I spent a lot of my formulative years playing like, like solo person RPGs, you know, not, uh, um, not a ton of games to like build up my, my hand eye coordination, that sort of thing. Uh, and on top of that, yes, you were right. Like league of legends takes quite a bit of time and quite a bit of grinding, um, to reach the top level. at. so, so it wouldn't even really be worth trying. And then if I did somehow break into the league of legends pro scene, the amount of, um, money uh that a league, that a pro league of legends player makes is not actually that impressive like like kind of similar to like magic or, or any of these other um uh esports um and so it's not not really worth it for someone that's that's already old and like established in in another game I, I don't think right so it sounds like the roi isn't really there for you at this point in time yes is the most like coldly calculating way, way to put it <laughs> <laughs> okay don't uh, follow your dreams kids calculate the roi first and, yeah. and go with that caleb says this is how you get better at magic james says be cold and calculating <laughs> well, i mean you should you should though right i don't know it really depends on what you want right right so going back to magic a little bit what would you say has been the best magic related memory that you've ever had um, well, pro probably, probably the first in, uh, SCG Invitational. I think that was probably my favorite. Uh, and going back, like a lot of the people 
that I uh, that I like met or hung out with that weekend. Like a lot of them, like like Alex B or Pazgay or whatever. I'm not I'm not really friends with anymore. Um, but a lot of those like turned into lasting friendships. Like I'm still very close with like Larry Swayze and stuff. And I teamed with um, I teamed with Bernal for that for that uh, for that Invitational. And bas- basically, uh, it was really rewarding for me as a competitive player because uh, like we showed up at at the house. We had like we 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 had like um, I was I was living with Matt Landstrom at the time, and we had a bunch of people come over uh, who were also like traveling to this thing. And we all like sat down to test, and uh, and basically everybody uh, we we were I was like, all right, so I've got this like red black vampires deck, and I like I kind of like it, um, but let's like test what everybody else wants to test first, and then uh, if if everything's garbage, we'll we'll like, come back to this deck. And everyone just like looks around, and nobody had anything, so, so <laughs> we started with the red black vampires deck, and sure. I I basically taught like a room full of grinders how to play this deck. Uh, and then we went and we crushed, we like, like crushed this tournament. Um, we, we had like six out of seven people, uh, like cash or something like that. And it was, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty rewarding on that. So there was the, the, uh, professional, it was like rewarding in a, in a professional sense. And then it was also like a sense of community. It was the first time that I actually felt like I was part of, uh, uh, of a community like like I'd had like friends playing magic and stuff before but it was the first time I'd felt um like I was part of something like a part of something that was like a little bit larger than myself you know sure and it, it must have felt great that they all used your deck and to such great results right uh yeah I guess okay <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah uh what year was that uh, the first SCG Invitational, um, I think it was early 2011. Okay. Oh, wait, maybe that was late 2010. That might have been late 2010. It was one of the one of the first articles I wrote for uh, Channel Fireball um, was a tournament report, and and that I uh, that tournament report actually wasn't wasn't that bad. It definitely like I I went back and I reread it a, a few years ago, and I definitely could have. Um, used a rewrite. There are like things that I would have changed about it now, but uh, it, I was definitely more passionate about uh, about writing and like like spinning spinning a story back then, like a uh, like like telling a tale, you know. Sure, it was the old school classic dojo tournament report, right? Where you pour your heart and soul into it, and it's really having some kind of storyline. Yeah, yeah, there was definitely a storyline. Well, at the uh, um, on my way to the tournament, like everybody else had, had already like filled up all their cars and stuff. And so I was kind of the odd duck. So I actually took a train and on the way there, the train actually hit a kid, like hit a kid on the railroad tracks. And, uh, everybody in my car was furious because they thought that they were going to be like late for whatever, like bullshit appointment that they were trying to get uh, to on this train. And yeah. so there was this like extreme amount of negativity uh-huh. and, and I just like had to get out. So I left and I went to, went to the dining car and I, I went down to the basement and the, the, the people that actually worked there that worked on the train were just like seriously bummed and bummed out and like somber. And they were like, hey, man, yeah, do you want a soda? Like, we've got some, like, stuff out if anyone wants anything. Like, it's not a big deal. And I talked with them for a bit. And, and apparently during uh, the holidays, like, around Christmas time, uh, people get really depressed. And they, like, use trains as a way of committing suicide and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, but it, I don't know. 
I guess it gave me a little bit of perspective going into into the weekend. Maybe like appreciate um, what I had. Like I like I didn't have much. I was like living in a magic player's basement, like like grinding tournaments and stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, perspective's good. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's uh, I gotta go back and and check out that article. I don't. I might have read. Yeah, it, I, but... I like kind of like weaved it into the tournament report and tried to like use that. Um, was that or, how? That was 2011, 2011. How long had you been... Had, so when did you start producing content in terms of articles? Oh, uh, well, I had... Uh, well, if you, if you want to go back far enough, when I was in high school, uh, my buddy Bill wrote an article for uh, for a site, and, was, and I was like, oh, should I do that? And he was like, I don't know, do what you want, man, whatever. And so I... Uh, so, I was, so because Bill did it, like I, I decided I would try my hand at it, and I like wrote a few articles. I wrote some for like Lawns and for Brain Burst and stuff, and and uh, they weren't actually terribly written for the time period, which is why they got published. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I was still like like kind of a younger strategic mind, mm-hmm. you know. So so uh, so they were entertaining, but they they didn't like have like a ton for people to learn from or whatever. And then when I was in college, uh, they asked me to do a writing internship. And I was like, all right, what do, what do people usually do? And they're like, well, they usually go to the local newspaper and they like basically do do work for them for free or whatever. And and there's like all these hours and stuff involved. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to be a journalist when I graduate from college. This doesn't actually seem that useful for me. And they're like, all right, man, come up with your own thing, whatever. <laughs> Not in those words, but sure. uh, uh, but I was like, all right, well... And so then I pitched the idea of doing uh, magic articles, and they were like, "Sure, like if if you think that might be something that you do." And I was like, "Oh yeah, that's totally something that I'll do." When I grow up. <laughs> and uh, I got the college to like pay for me to go to a grand prix and like pay for uh, like my my entry fees, my hotel, and like all this stuff. They had a fund set aside for when people want like uh, money specially for. Um, for their education that they can't get at the school. And so because I said that I was going to grow up and like write magical magic articles for a living, uh, they were like, Oh yeah, well I, I, I can see how like going to one of these uh, conventions can, can be useful for that. Are you sure that's all the money you want? They like, they like tried to offer me more money because English majors didn't usually apply for this, uh, for, for this funding or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was kind of interesting, but yeah. Um, and then I didn't realize that I could, uh, right for a major site until like right after Columbus and there's a huge amount of buzz about Blue Green Survival mm-hmm. and I was like okay well I can basically sell this tournament report to anybody mm-hmm. I went to Channel Fireball largely because uh, Star City had a paywall and I was used to being like dirt poor you know mm-hmm. and I, I, I'd i been reading Star City back from when before they had a paywall and at the time, like, I was really grateful uh, for them for, like, having that free content. Mm-hmm. So every time I would buy cards, I would, I would buy cards from them. I uh, kind of considered that my subscription fee. And then when they, like, made an actual subscription fee, I, I, I felt, like, a little bit betrayed, you know? Because, like, I'd spent my, my lawn mowing money, <laughs> basically. <laughs> sure. Like, paying, buying cards that were, like, a little bit more expensive on their site instead of buying them a little bit cheaper somewhere else. So so when I, when I, could, when I was in a place where I could, like... Uh, choose um a site to write for I, I chose channel fireball instead because because uh i mean I, I also wanted everybody to be able to to read my my articles whether they're like a struggling high schooler or or, or what have you you know and, and i've really liked working with channel fireball they're they're a great company to work for i have nothing but uh respect for the ceo uh sasso and and um 
uh, at the time, like LSV was uh, was the the main editor that like worked with me and stuff. So it was like pretty sweet to turn in an article and have like Louis Scott Vargas oh, yeah. message me back and be yeah. like, "Oh man, this is a sweet article." Just like <laughs> a little bit of like glow in me, you know? Right. Like, <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So even though you it, you started writing for Channel Fireball around that time, and because you did well, and you could that was a that was a great story, by the way, um, survival. But it sounds like you had worked your way up to that point because you have exp- you had had experience writing articles. It wasn't like, oh, this is now my first article and I have to crank one out now. What do I do? Yeah, it was like weirdly something that I had worked myself up to. I'd never thought that I would be doing exactly that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just because most people that uh, get paid enough for magic content are people that have finishes. But then you're like... Um, weirdly enough, my dedication, uh, paid off and, and I got a, uh, a top finish with like an original deck. Um, and, and I used that as a, as a way, like leverage to like get my foot in the scene anyway. No, that's awesome, man. And I'm super excited to hear this story from you and it's, it's great. I mean, sometimes things just fall into the right place and, but you have to put yourself in a position to, to do that. Like you have to play magic well, you have to brew an awesome deck and you also have to, uh, you also had to have that writing experience. So, uh, if I may ask, what's the f- what's your favorite article? Like, what's your what's what's your number one article that you've written? Because you've done a lot. So I, I'm I'm curious. Yes, yeah. um, that's a good question. I guess I don't really pick favorites. It's kind of like a parent trying to pick. Yeah, they're uh, all your the babies, right? Between yeah, a litter of very equally ugly babies, and none of them <laughs> are cuter, so you can't pick a favorite. Sure. Um, you put in the time and effort to not screw them up too badly, but you know, however they they turn out, they turn out. Uh, there's some str- very strong players um, who have uh, enjoyed Michael Ball Therapy article, uh, so that's like probably one of my better ones. Um. Part, partly because like I played I like played that card a lot and so I, I like it very um very much like trying to show people how to how to cast it effectively mm-hmm. and I think people appreciated that. I did like one piece of investigative journalism which kind of fell into my lap. Uh and I don't like that article at all, looking back on it. I would uh I would completely rewrite it if I got the chance. It was during the whole um Guillaume like leak ban thing. Mm-hmm. That happened a few years back, like a, a god book got spoiled. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I'd been playing like on Magic League, and it actually got spoiled in an IRC chat room that was like related to Magic League. And uh, I was, it was one of my my team's chat rooms that it got spoiled. So I had like all of the logs, like how how it had gotten spoiled, and and I did a bunch of interviews. I like tracked people down and stuff, oh, yeah. and I had a bunch of information even before Wizards of the Ghost Coast had like finished their investigation or before they knew anything like I had the whole the whole story yeah you had the scoop right yeah so so I ran with it um and I and I don't regret running with it but I do regret like the tone that I took with the article um I did one on like one, one of the nice things about writing for Channel Fireball is they kind of let us do what we want if we like have a good idea for an article they'll let us do that right like they're uh, which is pr- pretty great for the the community. We're not like locked into to doing something, or at least I'm not. I'm not locked into doing something mm-hmm. uh, particular week in and week out. Um, I'm given like a tremendous amount of flexibility in in what I want to write about, and so I've I've done a few that are that are like a little bit outside of the norm for for typical magic articles. I did one on like how to raise a child prodigy. That's kind of fun. Um, where where uh, 
I like investigated a uh, a person that uh, that like tried to raise a prodigy, right? And then he was successful, and he was looking at all of these other different examples of prodigies throughout the years, and like, and I, and I was basically saying that if someone really wanted to do that with Magic: The Gathering, they could. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like showing how and stuff, so that's like kind of fun. And I did another one on like stress testing about how. Um, how scientifically uh, people have different abilities to cope with with stress uh, based on their brain chemistry, right? Mm-hmm. And I looked at a few different studies, and and I even looked at a study at uh, at how they were stress testing rats about how they like found the amount of stress for a rat to be like a lethal dose, and they found that if they got rats up like close to that amount of stress, and then they backed off, they would actually like train the rats to handle stress better. Mm-hmm. And so I actually think that, like, regardless of your brain chemistry, if you don't, like, test well, if you don't uh, play in tournaments very well, I think if you, if you practice it, I think if you, if, you, if you test it out, you will become better. Um, and it might be, like, too slow or gradual to notice, like, immediate effects or anything like that. But something that I recommend to people that have, have uh, lots of time to play, play Magic and they're, like, generally pretty good, but they, but they don't tournament very well, something that I recommend is... is uh, is like grinding, like join moto tournaments late at night when when you would normally go to bed and like play when you're exhausted and then you'll play Grand Prix better because you'll be used to that experience, you know? Anyway. Very interesting. So put yourself in more stressful or situations that you're not normally used to. Yeah. And and uh and 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 various various uh sports they they do similar things as well. Anyway, Okay. And what have you learned over the years from writing articles and receiving feedback from your readers? Uh, I don't know if I don't know if like learned over the years is is the the right way to put it. Um, but I've definitely developed as as like a as a writer and through feedback and stuff. Uh, in general, most of the community around Channel Fireball and 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 uh, and Twitch and everything are are, are very positive. Um, I've got some of the best fans in the world, people that are just, um, like they like what I do. I've been around a lot. Like I, I've got like an established fan base. People know what I'm spitting out every week. They tune in for, for that, you know, um, they know what they're, they're getting with, with, uh, with Caleb D. So, so that's actually like pretty pleasant. Um, I've learned a little bit about how to deal with, with hecklers when they come up. And some of that is, uh, um, with how like comedians handle hecklers, and I, I think I think one one thing like like I was never really sure right because it's like it's good to be to nice nice to people too, and it's like mm-hmm. difficult to figure out like how assertive you should be when you're when you're dealing with that sort of person with that sort of like internet troll or whatever. But I remember talking to PV about an article uh, about a, a writer who who no longer writes for Channel Fireball. Um, and and PV just made the comment of like, well, yeah, well, he never he never defended himself, and and when you do that, it doesn't like satisfy the person that's attacking you, right? Like they keep on attacking you, and then other people, I don't know if it's like a crowd thing, but they like start to think that it's like part of yeah, it can be a dog part pile. of that, yeah, right, yeah, and then and they they like latch onto it. Mm-hmm. So if someone if someone starts being toxic, you have to like kind of put them down uh, to 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 use a, a dog pile reference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um anyway. Okay. So there's that and then there's also I mean just writing article just being a figure on the internet like gives you 
thicker skin than a, than an average person. I, well, I would imagine. How how do you deal with that? I mean, it's it's I I'm gonna guess it's fairly easy to deal with compliments, uh, but when you have people who who say Caleb, you're an idiot, or Caleb, you you don't know what you're talking about, despite the fact that you do know what you're talking about. How do you how do you deal with that? Well, it's a uh, it's good to um, I mean, it's good not to take yourself too seriously, right? Right. And it's usually if someone is uh, is being like unnecessarily aggressive, like it's not. I mean, like they, there's probably something pretty crappy going on in their life to like make them this way, right? Like they're <laughs> like they're they're they're, they're, they're the, the the anger doesn't just like spew out of nowhere. I don't, I don't know, unless someone is like seriously unstable and, and, uh, and then again, like that's not your problem. None of, none of it's really your problem. So usually if someone is being like un, un, uh, unfairly critical, um, I don't get ang- angered by it or anything. And I, I usually give people like pretty well thought out responses. I think, I think the last example I have, somebody was like, I've never seen someone play this terribly in, in a match of magic in my whole life, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, all right, man, why don't you like point out the situation, the the spots in the video where you think I made a mistake and we can talk it through. And he like lists all of these things. And I was like, okay, well at this stage in the game, I was playing around land tax. So I didn't want to run out. Uh, I didn't want to run out a second land because I wanted to like be able to play a wasteland if I drew one because of this reason. And like, so, like I, like I gave him like reasons for all of the different spots where sure. where he he thought that that I had just been like a like a moron, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and then the, the counterpoint to that is when you when you actually do make a mistake, like fess up to it and be like, oh yeah, I don't know what I was thinking there. Like, I made a brain fart. I'm human, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know if if people respect that, but it's something that I think is important as a as a, like a figure in the community. I think people need to um, need to have that ability to like say yes i was i was wrong here that's like because that's like how you get better as as a player right so it's just part of being a human being really whether you're in the public eye or or not i I yes i agree 100 percent. yeah uh when did you start streaming is that when you uh signed on with channel fireball was the first time oh no i didn't start streaming for a while after that okay and streaming and writing are obviously two very different things uh what do you enjoy most about streaming oh the the thing i like best about streaming is the is the community like uh anytime i'm feeling lonely i can fire up the stream and then all of a sudden there's like 300 400 like minds there to to, like talk with me and like bullshit about magic and Mm -hmm. uh whatever i want to talk about like it pretty pretty much any topic that i might like maybe maybe i'm like passionate about like obscure artwork or like old animation or, or like something that day there's going to be someone in the chat that like knows what I'm talking about and will be able to like talk with me. So that's kind of sweet. Um, but yeah, no, the, unlike a lot of games, I I think, I think this is a magic thing, but like in a lot of games, it it might be a Caleb thing or it might be a magic thing. I'm not sure. But in a lot of games, the, the Twitch community gets very toxic. Right. And that's just like kind of what the Twitch community is. Uh, but I haven't noticed that with my streams at all. And it might just be that I've got like the best moderators ever or something like that. But, uh, but yeah, I think, I think I've uh, like developed a, a pretty awesome community and on, on Twitch and uh, that's Caleb D MTG. Uh, that, that, uh, well, I can, I can list the whole. No, that sounds Twitch. great. Twitch.tv slash Caleb D MTG. If anyone is listening, wants to, wants to go give me a follow. 
Right, anyway. right. You, it sounds like you have some really good fans who are um, actually rational and, and tend not to dogpile on you, which is great. Yeah, yeah, very rational. Um, and then if, if someone like is like, ah, what a, what a moron, he like missed this and stuff, there's usually someone in my chat that's like, no, he's playing around this card or something. Mm-hmm. And people like ask intelligent questions and I don't know, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So, so it sounds like streaming is kind of this uh, thing that you can do impromptu. Like, like if you feel if you like it, you want to hang out with your your viewers, you can just fire it up and and do it. And also, you can play magic and you can get better at magic. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. Um, mostly trying to help other people get better at magic, but um, but I mean, yeah, I do I do play a lot of magic naturally. So it's 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 cool to to be able to stream it for folks. Okay. Um, so shifting gears slightly, do you have any mentor figures in the game who have helped you improve and in terms of game gameplay and maybe also in terms of outlook? Uh no not really. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like the honesty. Um is there something that you've learned that you would go back and tell yourself? as a player or as a human being, if you could go back five years? Um, no, no, he can, uh, past Caleb can pay the iron price. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you have any daily or weekly rituals when it comes to magic? I don't know about rituals. I kind of just like routine or habit, something like that. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of just get up in the morning, like check social media and then start whatever I'm doing that day. And uh, they might they might be uh, playing magic or I, I I guess I have a kind of a routine when I when I'm approaching a new deck, right? I, I like try and play if I'm if I'm if I'm taking someone else's deck and play and testing it for a tournament, I'll play it as it, how they built it, right? And I'll play some games with that, see what I like, see what I don't like, get a really good idea of why every card is there. Because it's only once I understand why they made all those card choices that I can like make intelligent decisions about um, whether some some other card might be better or not. Because you, you just don't know until you know uh, why exactly all all of their, their their cards were there and you've and you've played it. And then I'll and then I'll start uh, swapping cards and, and adjusting and going from there. Whereas when I when I build my own deck, um, I think it's like much faster to figure out when a card like shouldn't be in the deck when when you're starting with like a, a brew from scratch uh and 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 I've heard similar things from talking with people like like Conley Woods and Sam Black and whatnot how like if a card is is like you play you when you're when you're trying to brew a new archetype there's a lot of like speculative calls that you're putting in your lists right mm-hmm. because you're playing with cards that aren't necessarily on everybody's radar and so it should be pretty easy, pretty easy, and pretty pretty quick to figure out if a card like actually has potential, or if you're wasting your time. Mm. Uh, and then if a card does have potential, then you're gonna start throwing it into a bunch of different configurations, trying to trying to like uh, squeeze its its lovely potential juice out of it, basically. I love it, lovely potential juice. <laughs> yeah, you know, like getting blood from a stone, kind of. So when you're trying all these different combinations of cards and strategies, how do you know that you've arrived? Like, is it just the win rate or is it something else? I mean, win, win rate's the, the best metric, right? Okay. Okay. So it's, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty black and white in that sense, then. Like well, you're, you're also... 
Okay, so, so so one one way that a win rate might not be an accurate depiction for whether a deck is ready for a tournament is the Magic Online metagame tends to be a few weeks ahead of real-life metagames, and it also tends to gravitate towards a few decks, in particular decks that are, people are... Um, that have a high win rate that people can can grind easily with, you know. So so sometimes uh, you can have a deck and you can know its matchups perfectly well, know it's like the absolute best pick for a real life tournament, and not have the exact win rate that you want on Moto. But that's pretty that's pretty obscure. Mm-hmm. And I think anyone that has ground with a deck enough to know all of that will be able to like filter out the uh, the necessary information from testing on Moto. Like the, you're you're not going to get trapped. That's not. It's not actually something that you need to pay attention to. Right, right. Sounds like you have obviously a very good understanding of it already, and so you can you can navigate that. Ideally, um, ideally, you want to know a deck that well, but it's I mean it's deck dependent, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, next question: What are some ways that magic has enriched your life? Uh, can, can I pass on that one? <laughs> or I guess the past hour or so has been examples of that. So yeah, let's let's pass on that one. Okay. Uh, or like that's how that's how pass. I'm reading. That's how I'm reading into it. Uh, can I phone a friend? Can I? You know? <laughs> do, do not collect two hundred. I'll take the fifty fifty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, next one. What are your? Do you have any magic related goals for the next three to five years? Kind of long. Magic related goals. Well, when I fell off the pro tour. My goal was to like get back on it again, and then I did that kind of recently. Uh, I like top forward in RPTQ, and I went and I played. And the the most recent two pro tours that I played in, um, Madrid pretty recently, and then uh, and then one in California, um, with with like a, a year or two in between them. Uh, both of those were my absolute worst finishes at the pro tour ever and <laughs> where like i o three both draft pods to start the day out mm-hmm. and so um i i don't know how ba- basically what i'm saying is that i think my main goal as far as magic is concerned is to stream more and to like give back a little bit to the people that have been giving to me all these years like like give back a little bit to the community and uh, and try and be a better streamer. Do some like some like twenty four hour streams, that sort of thing, um, as opposed to something like getting back on the pro tour. Because until I figured out why exactly my last two pro tours were were so disastrous, because I I don't really know why. You know, like I like I had constructed decks that I liked, and I I thought that I did relatively good uh, uh, limited prep. One of the reasons that I moved to Madison in the first place is because uh, they've got like a really great limited scene. And so I was one of the reasons that I was excited to move here. Um, and I was kind of hoping that that would like help, help my game, my limited game. Mm-hmm. And I mean, basically like I, I can, like I'm doing well at local tournaments. Like if I play in a, a local uh, PPTQ, like if it's sealed or whatever, like I should crush, even though like there's a couple decent players there and, and um, like, like I draft with everybody here and like I usually do reasonably well at the draft weekends, like playing against like a lot of the, the power nine team and then uh, players from other teams will sometimes travel. I think we had like PV come for the last, uh, the last uh, uh, like draft weekend that we had. Uh, and I, like I usually, I usually do pretty well in those, but then, uh, but then, yeah, I haven't, I haven't been performing at the, at the pro tour level. So 
Yeah. Until I, until I figured out what that block is, I'm not giving myself any like particular goals as far as competitive magic is concerned, but I have very concrete and specific goals as far as my content. So ideally I, I would, uh, I would focus on that and follow through. Sure. Uh, have you talked to other players about your, how you did in the pro tour for any kind of feedback or? Oh, no, no, definitely not. Okay. Do you think it could just be variance? Uh, yeah, it could be, could be, but I, I mean, I wouldn't know that until I had, uh, played, played in more of them. I, I don't think I have like regressed as a player. So, um, it's possible that I just like had a couple of bad drafts in a row. Uh, it it was just like a little disheartening to like spend so much time like requalifying for the pro tour, yeah, and then like dying the same way that I like died a few years back, yeah. But I mean, can I assume that your goal is to get back to the pro tour again and to have that chance? No, you can't assume that at all. I, I like I think I I think I said pretty clearly that that's not a goal that I don't like have uh, a particular goal as far as the pro tour is concerned. My main goal is to be a better streamer. Better streamer, um, get back to the community. And well, yes, well that well be, being being a better streamer is something that when I put time and effort into it, it's something that I see direct results for, uh, and it, and it's something that's been like really rewarding recently. And uh, I think it's probably a better use of my time than uh, than trying to get back to the pro tour where the rewards are um, much more dubious. Understood. Yeah. Or nebulous. I think nebulous is a better word than dubious. Anyway. Okay. Vague. Like a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people uh, value playing on the pro tour very highly, but but I think a lot of them value it because uh, just because it's like the top tier of of Magic competition. But I mean, it's just another tournament, right? Uh, right. There's a lot of a lot of people there that I've I've played before at this point. I have a pretty good idea of of where I stack up. I don't think playing. Um, one more pro tour is going to be the difference in my game. Like it's not going to like help me improve to like crack to the next level. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, I'm going to try, try and improve in different ways. Yeah. I like that. I like that. I'm going to just try to wrap this up with one final question here. What do you think, how do you think magic will evolve as a game? If it will evolve as a game over the next three to five years? The next three to five years. Okay, the only real difference that I could see in the next three to five years, as opposed to the rest of Magic, because I think Magic is large enough um, that it's like going to be fine, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't see any like big changes on that front. The one change that I could see is that that uh, Wizards got a new CEO from uh, from Microsoft, and he hasn't really had time to make his presence felt yet. He's still kind of getting settled in and whatnot. I don't know if he's actually made any decisions since becoming CEO, but Wizards has made a lot of talk recently about Magic being like a top five esport or whatever, which is really difficult to take seriously when they're like cutting back on tournament coverage, like almost down the line. So I think part of it has, I think part, of, I think that's part of why they hired this new CEO is because they thought he could better implement uh, the, te- the 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 technology aspect of of Magic and bring us closer to being an esport in that light. Uh, I don't know how successful he's going to be. I don't know whether that's going to work out. I don't know anything specifics. Like this is just all speculation. But uh, but if there was going to be a big change in um, in tournament magic in the next three to five years, I think that's where it would be coming from. Got it. Yeah, it's still too early to to tell, right? But uh, 
well, I, I suppose we'll find out soon. Yep. Okay. Caleb, do you have any shout-outs you want to give to anybody or any projects you're working on? Well, I have. I already gave a shout-out to my, my, uh, my Twitch stream. But yeah, um, check it out if you haven't. And then uh, twitch.tv slash CalebMTG. You can follow me on Twitter at, uh, at CalebDMTG. And then uh, if, uh, if you don't frequent the channel Fireball, I highly recommend that site for all of your strategy content needs. There's a lot of great writers, a lot of great writers, a lot of entertaining video producers. I try and do videos on there that are a little bit different than what everybody else is doing and try and get, be uh, entertaining, show, show a, little bit of my, a little bit of my personality. So if you enjoyed this interview um, and you feel a craving for more Caleb D, that is a way to find some. Awesome. Well, Caleb... Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me, and I wish you all the best. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, James. Uh, it was a it was a it was a fun interview. Thanks for having me on.